Uh, can I say again, thank you very much for having me. It's a great joy and privilege to be with you this morning. And um, Warren, I knew Clifford Warren. He, he was an extraordinary Christian man. And um, yeah, so uh, Clifford's a great name in honour of him. Um, if you're a Christian believer, you know that uh, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ speaks into all circumstances of life. You know, the good and the not so good. And today we're thinking about this um, difficult topic of mental health. And I just want to say it's certainly not my intention to cause anyone any distress. But because of the nature of what we're talking about, if this sort of, you know, pushes some buttons for you and you feel like you need to take a break, please feel free to do that. And, um, I, you know, either zone out or leave the room, whatever. I will not be offended. Okay. Uh, friends, let's pray before we um, get into this this morning. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your life-giving word. May it be a lamp to our feet and a light for our paths. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, friends, few things are worse than poor mental health. Here's how someone described their experience of depression. I've likened it to being totally alone and vulnerable in a house. An intruder barges in with the intent to inflict the worst possible pain. You cannot know how long he will torture you. He keeps at it until he is at last satisfied. Then as he walks out the door, he flashes a sadistic smile and says, I'll be back, so be expecting me. Here's someone else's story. Having anxiety and depression is like being scared and tired at the same time. It's the fear of failure, but no urge to be productive. It's wanting friends, but hating socialising. It's wanting to be alone, but not wanting to be lonely. It's caring about everything, then caring about nothing. It's feeling everything at once, and then feeling paralyzingly numb. That's another story. But I don't need to tell you stories, do I? Because we've all got a story. And if it's not you personally, it's someone you know, love, care about, a family member, a friend, a work colleague. I've got a story I can tell. I've had a family member hospitalized due to poor mental health. There's a guy called Thomas Insel. He was the former director of the Amer America's National Institute of Mental Health. And he once said that there's, there's two kinds of families in America, he said. There's families that are struggling with a mental illness and there's families that are not struggling with a mental illness yet. And it's the same here in our country, isn't it? Uh, when it comes to mental health, them is us. And it's a terrible form of suffering. Uh, we know that mental health services are less than perfect. So much more could be done. But we are blessed to live in a time and a place where there are very many effective treatments and there is psychological and med uh, medical assistance that can be profoundly helpful. That's a great thing. 
Um, today, though, we want to think about where does God fit into this particular picture? Where is God when you cry out for relief from your distress and nothing changes? Where is God when the community of his people, the church, doesn't seem to be there in the way that you need? Because the church hasn't always got it right, has it? There are still Christian people today who would say, your depression, your anxiety is due to your sin. And if that's been your experience, I'm so sorry. And if you haven't experienced the support that you long for, I'm very sorry about that as well. Because it's not actually meant to be like that. Now let me be really clear. It's not the church's job to fix mental health. But it is our job to be a place of love and care for all. And when we get that right, that can have a really big impact. And when we don't, it just adds to the pain. So today I want to think about what God offers as we suffer mental distress. And, and friends, I want to say to you, I truly believe that God is with us on this particular journey, that we don't walk this pathway alone. Um, we may feel alone. God might seem very absent. But as we're told in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. You are with me. And this is the Christian message. This is the gospel. That in our Lord Jesus Christ, God has drawn near to us in our pain, in our anguish. Yes, he came that our sins might be forgiven. And he came to restore so that one day all will be put right. We have real hope. And while we await that day, as hard as things might get, his promise is that he is with us. We don't walk this pathway alone. God walks with us in the suffering of mental ill health. So what I'd like to do this morning is to share with you four things that the Christian gospel offers in the midst of mental health challenges. If you'd like to follow, there's a little outline in your notes there. So the four things, um, reality, dignity, community, hope. Let's work through these. Uh, first up, reality. Now, despite what a lot of people think, genuine Christian faith, it doesn't, doesn't romanticise about life. It doesn't fantasise. It doesn't pretend. It doesn't fudge around with the truth. It tells it like it really is. And the Bible tells the truth about how difficult and how awful life can sometimes be. Job 5 verse 7. We are born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. And the Bible actually encourages us to voice those feelings of pain and awfulness to God. And he's not offended by us telling him what we're really feeling, of asking, of asking him, how long is this going to go on, Lord? Our God wants us to be honest and real with our struggles 
and he listens. Because in the Bible we find the language of lament. And lament is what the person of faith is encouraged to do in the dark times. Uh, not to back away from God, but, but to come to him, to tell him what it's really like. Uh, there's lots of lament in the Bible. Um, more than half of the Psalms contain lament. But I just want to focus very briefly upon two. The one that was read to us, Psalm 77, and then another one in a moment. Um, let me just read again the early, a few of those early verses. Um, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. Can you say that to God? Yes, you can. Tell him how hard it is. Now, lament doesn't stop there. Um, it goes on to remember what God is like. It tries to shift the self-talk by stepping back from our trouble and then reflecting on the character of God, the God who has revealed himself as the powerful creator and the loving redeemer. And so he goes on in the psalm, just down in verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. He thinks back. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works, meditate on your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people. He thinks back. Um, can I just say that what the psalmist does here, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, when God seems absent from your life, there's a certain sort of stubbornness that's required to be convinced that he still loves you. But the wonderful thing about the Bible is it, it is so real. It is so real that it even speaks of that sort of experience of the person who finds it impossible to call to mind God's love. And we find words for the person who struggles to have the strength to even hope in God. And so the second psalm I want to briefly mention is Psalm 88. Um, psalm 88, if you know it, it's, it's brutal in its honesty. And the writer of this psalm, he finds this, this, this terrible contradiction between the God he believes in and the God that he's experiencing in his life. You have put me in the depths of the pit, he says to God. O oh Lord, why do you cast me off? Why do you hide your face from me? And that psalm doesn't end on a happy note, doesn't go back to remember all the good things God has done in the past and then say, I praise you, O oh Lord. No, 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 no. It ends with these words. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Friends, I want to say to you this morning that there is comfort in the fact 
that the Christian faith is real about genuine mental anguish. There is comfort in the fact that God is willing to listen to us in our darkest moments. And when the despair doesn't lift, and when we think all we have is silence from God, the one thing we have left to cling to is the death of Jesus. That while God might not explain our suffering, he shares it. God knows, God understands. So that's the first thing, reality. The gospel we offer our world is able to handle the depth of what people experience in real life. Reality. Number two, dignity. Uh, Many people who experience mental health challenges are really good at being down on themselves, particularly those experiencing depression. But the gospel affirms the glorious dignity of every person. The Bible says every human being is made in the image of God. All the other creatures are made after their kind. But humanity is made to be like God. Now image, of course, implies we're not ultimate. It says you are not God. But of God, that says we're not nothing. We enjoy dignity without deity it's not all about me but i'm not a nobody either and this truth shapes how we treat each other we treat everyone with respect and dignity irrespective of their abilities their behavior their racial background their beliefs their sexuality or the quality of their mental health No matter how damaged your mental health is or somebody you know's mental health is, we are all God-like people to be honoured, to be loved. And let me tell you something about mental health diagnoses. These things, they're like very sticky labels. They limit our vision of people ourselves we make assumptions let's not focus on labels let's focus on people people on loving each other just as we are whether there's a mental health challenge or not i think what helps here is one of the things that really helps is seeing trying to see things the way that god sees things Uh, you know the kingdom of god god's kingdom very different from our world isn't it it's very topsy-turvy very upside down sort of way of thinking the way god sees things um there's a couple of examples 1 corinthians chapter 12 paul talks there about how every person in the church has a significant role to play what does he say about the parts of the body that are weaker he says they're indispensable. What does he say about the parts of the body that are considered dishonorable? He says they should be treated with greater honor. Greater honor. That's the way we are to treat those of us with mental health challenges. 
What about 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Paul there gives this theology of um, weakness and how God's power is at work in our weakness. And being weak, whether that's a disability or some physical health problem or mental ill health, that's not seen as being a problem for faithful Christian living. So this is sort of how, you know, church is meant to work. All of us, with our weaknesses and our struggles and our mental health challenges, we all participate together, we're all contributing, we're all learning from each other, we're all growing together in Christ. And I want to say to you, the church won't work properly without those of us who have mental health challenges being drawn into the life of our church. So that's the second thing. We are all people of extraordinary dignity. Let's treat each other that way. Number three, community. Now let me tell you about the, um, the Harvard study of adult development. This is the longest running study of human behavior and health ever done. It began in 1938 and it's still going. Okay, now the original participants, um, most of them have died, as you can imagine. Uh, this was a, started off a group, of, a group of male students at Harvard University near Boston. And then a few years later, they, they drew in another group, people from um, young men from socially disadvantaged areas in Boston. And they've tracked them and they're continuing to track their families. Um, JFK was actually in the very first group, uh, the first cohort. Now, uh, if you were to take the more than 80 years of that Harvard study and boil it down to a simple principle for living, this is what you get. Seven words. Good relationships keep us healthier and happier. If you're going to make one choice, one single decision to best ensure your own health and happiness, the science of that study says your choice would be to cultivate warm, nurturing relationships. Now, I don't think there's any surprises here. For those of us who believe at the very heart of the universe is what? Warm, loving relationship. Our God. Three persons in one trinity um, and the wonderful thing about the christian gospel is do you know what it does it embeds you in a community you're drawn not only into relationship with god but we're drawn into relationship with each other a place where you can belong now you all know that these days there's lots of talk about being inclusive right um but the theologian John Swinton, he draws a distinction between what he calls inclusion and belonging. He says, to be included, that means they let you in through the doors. But to belong, you have to be missed. You have to be missed. Um, my wife and I were away at another church a couple of weeks ago. And uh, someone from church sent her a text and said, we missed you this morning. That was a beautiful thing. What we find in the New Testament descriptions of the church is the language of belonging. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus redefines the nature of family. And he says, you know what? 
True family, it's not simply about blood relationships. In fact, true family is about those who do the will of, the will of God. To be part of a family, that's a, that's a very powerful metaphor of belonging, isn't it? And we belong to God and we belong to each other. We also find in the New Testament the, um, the language of friendship. Now, let me ask you, in our world, who do you, who do you make friends with? Who do we make friends with? People like us, right? People like us. It was the same in the world of the New Testament. Uh, Jesus comes along, what does he do? Overturns that. Who did Jesus make friends with? Tax collectors. Sinners. People very unlike himself. And the Christian gospel, following the example of our Lord Jesus, it transforms the way we do friendship. And we can be friends with people who are not like us. Now these ideas, family, friendship, these are very powerful concepts. And when we relate in our churches as family and friends, what a difference that can make to those of us who are experiencing mental health challenges. We all have a place. We all belong. We all have a contribution to make. We genuinely care for each other. And the church actually does things for people that mental health professionals can't. Yeah, if you see a mental health professional, you might see them what? For an hour, once a month, once a fortnight if you're lucky, something like that. The church, we have this opportunity to be together as family, as friends. Now, please don't hear me wrong here. None of us can do everything, right? You can't be friends with everybody. We're, we're, we're limited, right? And you cannot meet every need of every person in this room. But small things have great power. A listening ear, catching up with someone over coffee for a chat, cooking a meal for somebody, sending a text saying, I'm praying for you, sharing a Bible verse. Small acts of kindness are powerful. And together we can make a real difference in each other's lives. Okay, so reality Dignity, community, the final thing, hope. Hope. Do you know what one of the most horrible things about poor mental health is? It shrivels up hope. If you want to use a big word, it eviscerates it. But there is hope for those who struggle with their mental health. As I said earlier, in God's providence and kindness, we live in a time when there are many effective treatments for mental health challenges. So that's what I want to say to you. Um, one of the very best things you can do if you're struggling yourself or you know of somebody else who is struggling is go and get some medical help. See a GP and if they need to be re referred on further, there are some very effective treatments out there. But, but... The Christian faith brings a much more profound hope than what our medical health professionals have to offer. And actually, this is why, this is why I find the Christian gospel so powerful. 
Um, and so, so wonderful, so beautiful, actually. It's a wonderful thing. You know, I spoke a moment ago about how Christian faith, what does it do? It embeds you in a community of people. But it embeds us in something else as well. It embeds us in a bigger story. It takes us little but precious people, embeds us in the bigger story that God is working in our world. A story that affirms our value and our destiny. Let's think about those two things for a moment. First, our value. Um, We all want to be loved, don't we? I want to be loved. I'm sure you want to be loved. The Christian faith tells us that we are loved. Warren spoke of that earlier, didn't he? The face of God is always looking your way with mercy, grace, kindness, love, compassion, forgiveness. And it's not about how beautiful you are or how great you are at your job or how much money you earn or how winsome your personality is. God loves you because God loves you. As simple as that. And this is so freeing. And when you know this love, this love bolsters your mental health. It won't take away a serious depression, but it does us good. So being drawn into the Christian story affirms our value. It also, secondly, affirms our destiny. Because, as you know, the Christian gospel promises a wonderful future. That in this bigger story that God is working, this broken world is going to be completely fixed. And crying and mourning and pain and mental health challenges will be no more. And in the meantime, in the meantime we have God's promises. And God's promises, they're they're like a lighthouse shining out into our darkest moments. And do you know the thing about God's promises? He always keeps them. What God says, God does. So when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, that means he will never leave us or forsake us. And when we're told that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, it means just that. And we're held by a story that's bigger and stronger and truer than whatever mood or misery you find yourself in. I love the way um, John Swinton puts it in this quote. Life in its all, all its fullness is not life without tears, but life with the one who dries our tears and moves us onward to fresh pastures. So there we go. Reality, dignity, community, hope. These are the things that the Christian gospel brings to us that are so powerful, that are so wonderful. I just want to finish up by speaking to you. If you're struggling with your mental health at the moment, I want to say something particularly to you. I could say a whole lot of things to you this morning. I could say, you know, 
keep pushing on your Christian life and keep following your Christian disciplines and keep persevering and keep trusting God, I could say to you, keep hanging on to God no matter what. But I'm not going to say any of those things to you. I'm not going to tell you to hang on to God. I want to say to you, God will hang on to you. God will hang on to you. That's our God. When you're at the end of your resources, when you're struggling just to hang in there, when you feel like you cannot hold on, God has his everlasting arms around you and he will not let you go. He's your rock, your refuge, your place of safety. I don't know whether you noticed um, when Psalm 77 was read to us, there's a lovely little image at the end of the psalm because in that psalm, in the midst of his struggles, the, the author, he remembers what God is like, goes back to Israel's history, remembers that he's a God who saves, who rescued his people from slavery, who brought them through the sea, the waters of the Red Sea, and he says... Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. And it's like that sometimes, isn't it? We can't see God's hand in what we're going through. He seems absent. We might think he doesn't care, but he's there with us, holding us, loving us, caring for us. We don't have to face mental health challenges alone. Our God is with us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the wonderful truth of the Christian message and gospel is it's not all up to us. In fact, Father, it's not up to us at all. We just thank you for your grace and kindness and mercy. And it's your work that saves us and rescues us and enables us to persevere. Father, please help us to rest in that truth. And when we go through those moments of mental anguish and distress, Father, just gently, kindly remind us that we are yours and you love and you care. And we thank you for this mercy. In the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.